What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Could you imagine what it would be like, just for a moment, for you to live in another world, to live in another family, to live in a different context in which you're in right now? And what I mean by that is imagine, for just a moment, if you will, that you grew up in one of the wealthiest households in the world. Let's just say, for example, your father was not your earthly father that you know, but your father was, in fact, Elon Musk. Could you, would you think that your life would be a little bit different than it is right now? Most likely. Elon Musk, from what I am told, his net worth is up to $206 billion. That's a pretty good payday. Just if you have a second, maybe later today or this week, maybe just try to calculate your net worth, and I will assure you it's not even a fraction of what that is. $206 billion. Imagine becoming a billionaire 2,000, I mean, a millionaire 2,000 times. That's what Elon Musk is. But imagine here, if you were his son or daughter, you would probably, I know I wouldn't be driving a Chevy Cobalt, that's for sure. I would not be living in a modest, uh, you know, house. We would be living in, in some of the most luxurious scenes of our world, driving some of the most exotic cars, living in some of the biggest houses. I mean, just imagine when you would think that a 10,000 square foot home was small. Well, billions of dollars would get that. But as you were growing up in Elon's house, he was, he was preparing you and grooming you to become the next CEO of Tesla and the next CEO of all the other establishments that he has started and pioneered. But when you became 40 years old and he was about 80 years old, you had a chat with your father, Elon, and you said, Mr. Musk, sir, with all due respect, I do not want your wealth. In fact, I would like for you to remove my name out of the inheritance. In fact, I would like for you to give the company to one of your other sons or daughters. I don't want anything that you've ever prepared to give to me. I refuse it. That would be hard to do. But I say that to say this. That as we come to the life of Moses in this scene, we realize that Moses was born into a family of great wealth, like Elon Musk. And Moses decided that he wanted to refuse those temporal promises. He chose the eternal pleasures, and he esteemed eternal possessions greater than the things of this world. Today, as we've already looked at verse 23 last time, tonight, today we're going to look at how... Um, Moses was a man of faith, and the title of my message is simply The Faith of Moses Part 2. But if I could elaborate on that and give you a thought today, if I could just give you two words to, to, to leave, it would be this, mature faith. Would you say that with me? Mature faith. 
Mature faith is literally what we see here in verse 24, verse 25, and verse 26. Moses came to a point in his life when he was matured in his understanding of who he was. He was matured in his understanding that he no longer wanted to be involved in the pagan gods of the Egyptian culture. He wanted to exclusively worship and serve the true God, Elohim, Jehovah, God. And here's the thought I want to convey to you today. If you leave with anything, this is what I want you to leave with. When we walk with God, our faith will mature in God. Our Faith in God has to mature throughout our life. Could you imagine being born to a man like Elon Musk and they're living the rest of your life as a one or two-year-old? Obviously, your body's not designed to do that if you are blessed to live longer than two years old. You will begin to have longer legs. You will begin to go from crawling to walking. You'll begin to go from from like doing what babies do when trying to talk to actually saying words from their mouth. Today, as we think about the Christian life, as we think about faith, faith does not stay in the infancy age. Faith grows over time. Our understanding of God and his word is to increase and mature throughout our life. And that's what we see in verse 24, verse 25, and verse 26 of the life and faith of Moses. So I wonder today, would you say, even though maybe, maybe listen, you've been, maybe you're here today and you're a senior citizen, or maybe here, you're today, you're in your 20s, or maybe you're a teenager, whatever the phase and age and stage of your life, I wonder today, would God consider you to have mature faith like Moses in this scene? That being said, here's a question I want to ask. How does mature faith respond to the things of this world? You see, when we begin to grow in our understanding of who God is, we realize that, that it's not about our net worth on this earth. It's about the eternal worth of God and Christ Jesus. When we begin to mature in our understanding and our faith, we will choose the things of God over the temporal pleasures of this earth. And when we begin to mature in our understanding of God and our faith in Christ, we will say that these possessions, these tangible assets that we have in this world do not compare to what God has for us in the world to come. So you come with me as we move through this text today. In verse 24, I want to share the first of three thoughts with you. Mature faith refuses temporal promises and the things of this world. Mature faith refuses the temporal promises and the things of this world. Look at verse 24. So far, last week we looked at how verse 23 is more about the faith of the parents of Moses and about Moses himself, but there in verse 23, it gives us that, that next in scene or that next transition by faith Moses. When he was born just as a little child, he was hid three months by his parents from those because there was a law and edict made that all the male children from two years old and under were to die. All of them, the little babies were to die. But they saw he was a little beautiful proper child and they saw the beauty that this little child conveyed and said, man, God has a great plan for him. We've got to hide him. And so they were not afraid of the king's commandment. But then in verse 24, another transition. Now we see Moses is now a grown man. Now, if you read the Exodus account, you will not read about an age number. But if you read the summarization that Stephen has in the book of Acts chapter 7, you will discover that in this verse, verse 24, we believe according to Stephen's sermon 
that Moses was about 40 years old when this event, verse 24, took place. And so it says, by faith Moses, when he was come to years. This means that he came to a matured moment in his life. And today I'm not saying that in the only way you could ever be mature is to be 40 years of age. I don't think the Bible's telling us that today. But in Moses' context, he came to the point in his life when he reached his maturation of who he was and who he came from, and he was not Pharaoh's grandson and not the, do- not the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he said, I don't want this life anymore. But keep in mind, this is the life of a billionaire. This is the life of, of luxury, such as we probably will never even understand, even if we brought all of our assets together and combined them. We would not comprehend this elite aspect of life. Moses had it. In fact, in fact, there are two ways that, that some, of the, some of the theologians try to understand Moses in the scene. Uh, thought number one is, is he is... Is he the prince? He's the prince of Egypt, and he is being groomed one day to become the great Pharaoh. Or he is just the product of another woman in the harem of Pharaoh. So if you don't know what that is, if you could just imagine, Pharaoh has a big palace, and he had all these other little homes scattered throughout all of the Egypt empire. And in all of those little homes, he had ladies there, and they were, those were his mistresses. And so if he would have a a son with any of those mistresses, they would be like the possibility of becoming a prince. So the idea is he's either being groomed to become the prince or he's just one of the sons of one of his many women. But we know he was adopted in the family, but he was treated as if he was blood. And in verse number 24, the Bible says Moses refused it. 40 years of age, possibly the next Pharaoh, the next ruler of the world. And he denied and rejected all that was possibly given to him. It says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. As I read the first part of this verse, verse 24, I I consider this. Faith that is matured refuses to call this world home. As I consider Moses, we know that in the context of Israel coming down to Egypt, it was, a, it was a time that they were not meant to be there forever. And it, throughout scripture, there are moments when the world of Egypt is categorized as a place of this world or the flesh, things that are contrary to this world. And we know that that, that temporary dwelling place for the Israelites was not their home that God promised them. And today I say this, that that when we mature in our understanding of God and Christ and who we are, children and sons and daughters of, of the most high King of kings and Lord of lords, we will realize that this home, the apartment that you have, the nice house that you have, or whatever you might be living in, maybe you're living in a tent, I don't know, or maybe in your van, I don't know, whatever. People do different things today. But whatever you, you call your house and residence, that does not compare to the great place God is preparing for you and me, as Jesus said in John 14. He said, in my house are many mansions. And he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. And he said, I am going to prepare a place for you so that when I come again, I will receive you unto myself. Today, my friends, we know that we are pilgrims, we are strangers, we are foreigners, we are aliens, if you will, passing through this world onto the next because the next age is our home. Faith that is matured refuses to call this world home. So while I know I'm to be in this world, I know I'm not of this world. While I'm to be in this world, I know that, hey, 
the place that I have, the houses I've lived in, the apartments I've stayed in, the dormitories I've lived in throughout the course of my life, it is not my home. My home is heaven. And the Bible gives me the promise that in a sense, I'm already there. I already have the real estate allotted to me when I get there. And today, we see that Moses refused to call Egypt his home. And then consider this. Faith that is matured refuses to call the prince of this age father. Pharaoh is a mighty leader of the ancient world. Access to all this wealth, access to all this success, access to all this pleasure, and access to all power. We don't understand that kind of power in America. We have in our governmental system checks and balances to where one person cannot be a dictator. But in that kingdom, what Pharaoh said was gospel truth. What Pharaoh said took place no matter if anybody agreed or disagreed with him. And here it says, he not only refuses to call Egypt his home, he refuses to call Pharaoh, if you will, his grandfather or father. He refuses to call Pharaoh's daughter his mother. And today, as we think about Pharaoh, we know he was a powerful ruler of the ancient world, and eventually, God would rain down plagues upon the Egyptians. Eventually, we will discover that that as they are chasing the Israelites out of Egypt, they are swallowed up by the Red Sea. Reminding me that there is a higher power than the powers that be in our governmental system and in all the governments of the world. There is a force, there is a figure who has his hand in every aspect of this world. Believe it or not, it is real. And his name is Satan. He has his hand in politics. He has his hand in education. He has his hand in every aspect of the known world. But my friends, he is not my father. And if you call yourself a Christian, he is not your father either. Our father is the king of kings and lord of lords who will one day, just as Pharaoh was swallowed up in the Red Sea, we will see the lake of fire swallowing up Satan and his demonic forces and all those who are unrepentant in their sins. Mature faith refuses temporal promises and the things of this world. But secondly, may I draw your attention to verse 25. In verse 25, we see a transition. There are key words here. In verse number 24, I believe the key word is refused. In verse 25, I believe the key word is choosing. So first of all, Moses refuses the temporal promises of this world. But then secondly, mature faith chooses eternal pleasures over the things of this world. Mature faith chooses eternal pleasures over the things of this world. I believe the writer of Hebrews is echoing what John will write in the future. That is, in the future in which the writer of Hebrews lived in. John's writing in the 90s AD, and he says, Love not this world, neither the things that are in this world. I wonder, are we like Moses in this season when he is 
matured. He is 40 years old. He's realized that I don't want to be in Pharaoh's home anymore. I don't want to be a potential ruler of this kingdom. I want to be with the people of God. Verse 25, it says, He chose to rather suffer affliction with God's people than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin for just a season. Do you have a favorite season? Chances are, you can correct me after I'm wrong after the service, or by all means, stand up and shout it out today. But, but I would assume, if we had to choose a favorite season, most of you here today would choose fall or spring. The reason why is summer is just a little too hot for us, and winter's just a little too cold. It's the extreme of both worlds. And most people, I would assume, like fall or spring better because it's not too hot. I mean, we get a nice, brisk, uh, cool air in the mornings, but it warms up in the evening and afternoon. We get to see, the, in, the, in the fall, we get to see the leaves turning colors, and it's beautiful to take a ride on the parkway and see the changing of seasons. In the springtime, we see that the flowers are blooming, the plants are coming back to life, and it, it's beautiful. But when we see fall come, we are dreading the three months, all because we know winter is coming. And then when spring comes, life is brought back into this world. But we know that spring is here. And the extreme heat of the summer is on its way. And the Bible says here that the pleasures of sin is like the seasons of fall, winter, spring, and summer. They don't last forever. And the Bible says here that Moses chose to suffer with the people of God. So consider this. Faith that is mature chooses suffering to be a great blessing. Faith that is mature chooses suffering to be a great blessing. Now, in, in this auditorium today, for those of you that might be listening online to the sound of my voice, we know that, that life has a way of hitting us and affliction comes knocking on our door whether we like it or not. Whether it's through grief, whether it's through health, whether it's through trials and tribulations of, of so many different kinds and flavors, we realize that here, here the people of Israel were slaves at this moment in the Egyptian historical record. And it's in this scene that Egypt is at almost the very pinnacle of its power and, and riches. And Moses says, I'm going to choose to suffer affliction. We're gonna, I'm going to go out in Goshen where it's desert area, it's hot, it's... it's they're not, they don't have the money. They don't have the, the luxuries. They may not have the air conditioning or the heat there. You know, they don't have all those nice things like we have today. And he said he wanted to suffer affliction with God's people. Today, I'm not saying we need to go knocking on every door so that suffering comes to our door. But when suffering does come, we need to embrace it. Because it is in those trials that God allows to go into our life that he can prune us, he can draw us closer to himself, and he, he makes us more mature in our walk with him. I mean, can you imagine all the brothers and sisters Moses would have had and what they would have been saying to him? You're going to go live with who? You're going to go live in tents in the desert of, up in Goshen? Look at that palace. Look what you could have, Moses. You could have 15,000 square foot just for yourself. And then another double of that for everybody else. 
but he chose suffering to be a great blessing. And today, I don't know, there are many different levels of suffering. You know, if we think about here in America, you know, if you're trying to share Jesus with somebody, you might get cussed at, you might get the door slammed in your face, and that, and that is a level of suffering, but it is not the same level as, as the underground church in China or, or in areas in the world where Christianity is illegal, and those who, who have a Bible or who profess publicly Christ, they could be dead and imprisoned. But nonetheless, whatever kind of suffering comes our way, Let's embrace it, like Moses did. But then it says here that he chose to not enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So consider this. Faith that is matured chooses sin to be a great cursing. There will come a time in our life when we may suffer because we choose not to engage in activities or sins of our past. And today, let me just pause here and, and say this, that the writer of Hebrews is not saying to become a powerful leader is a sin. The writer of Hebrews is not saying to be wealthy is to be sin or to be sinful. What I believe the writer of Hebrews is conveying to us today, because listen, Joseph was like the next in charge in the Egyptian kingdom, generations prior to Moses. And we see other people in the Old and New Testament alike having great powerful positions in society. But I will say this, that for Moses, God had a special calling on his life. And imagine if Moses did not embrace and receive God's calling and decided to become the prince and the ruler in Egypt, our Old Testament would look far different than what it is today, and so would our New Testament. So for Moses to stay in Pharaoh's household for Moses to, to become the next, in, in the next king would be sin. And so there are times when, when we have a sin that we, none of us should do in our life. But then there's a special calling that God has placed upon your life and my life. And if we do not embrace that calling, then it would be sin for us. For example, for you to not become a pastor is not to be engaging in sin. But for me, right now, this moment, if I decide a goodbye to the ministry and I walk out those doors and I say, you know what, I'm going to go get a real job and make a real income, for me, that would be sin. Because I would be denying God's calling in my life and saying, God, I don't want to serve you in this way in which you're directing me and you've obviously orchestrated me to do. And so God obviously was sovereign and providential over Moses and he said, do not choose the pleasures of sin in Egypt. And he did not. He chose that to be a great cursing. So I wonder, what kind of faith do you have today? Do you have a faith that has reached maturation where you say, hey, I don't need the, eternal, the, the temporal pleasures. I want the eternal pleasures. Do you have a faith today that says, I don't need these temporal promises. I want the eternal promises. Or thirdly today, how does mature faith respond to the things of this world? Well, thirdly, mature faith esteems eternal possessions over the things of this world. John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. The things there are the things we can touch, the things we can see, the things we can feel with all of our senses. And here, the writer of Hebrews says, Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. 
I don't know if you've ever been to Egypt, but it's on my bucket list. One day I want to go there and I want to see those pyramids for my own eyes. I want to just embrace the reality that we don't really have any clue today exactly how they built those in the ancient world, but they did. But imagine we all go on a trip to Egypt. We hop on a plane here in Roanoke and we fly to whatever airport we need to go to that takes us all the way to Egypt. And there we hop in a van and, or a bus and the, and the driver takes us all the way to those great pyramids. And we notice that there was a doorway into the pyramid. Nobody saw it before. We are the first ones to walk in. And as we walk in, we have our torches, and so we light the, the, matches, the, uh, the, the fire on our torch, and we're walking through, and, and it's very dark as we look to the straight ahead, and we see different rooms, and we go in the rooms. There's not much there, but then we come to this door that is, that is sealed, but there's a button there. We press the button, and in, a, in an ancient way, the, the door opens, and we stand on this platform, and when we look out to the front, when we look to our left, we look to the side, we look up and down, and all we see is darkness. But one of you took your torch and set it in a spot on the wall and it was as if the fire went down a lightning blaze trail and lit up the entire room. And all we saw was gold, 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 and more gold. Well, I think it'd be safe to say that we're going to retire. <laughs> And we're going to all buy an island, and we're going to chill the rest of our lives. But the reality is, is that the extent of the riches Moses had access to in his kingdom? And as our fleshly nature at times would esteem that wealth, we would elevated up, just like Pharaoh was elevated in society. He was the, the, the biggest ruler of the age. The Bible says that Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. So consider this. Faith that is matured esteems the reproach of Christ as great treasure. Reproach is, is bringing disgrace upon you or upon yourself. And Moses decided that, hey, I'm going to esteem the reproach of Christ. Now, notice something here. The writer of Hebrews doesn't say God. He doesn't say Lord. He actually says the word Christ, the word in the Greek language for Messiah. This would also be a title that is given to Jesus. It would honestly be his epitaph, Jesus the Christ. And Moses here, he was the one who wrote the Torah by God's divine spirit giving him the words to write. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse number 15, he spoke about how there would come a greater prophet, a greater servant, a greater one than he himself. And Moses, in a sense, in a sense, Moses is like a Messiah figure in the Old Testament, leading God's people out of Egypt to the land of promise. And that brought upon him reproach. And we see... Moses is a great type and figure of Jesus Christ that in similar ways that Christ received reproach, Moses did. In similar ways that Christ leads us out of this sinful world into a land where there will be no more sin, we see Christ is a great type and figure. Moses is a type of figure of Christ. And so when we 
come to a place in our life when we've reached maturity in our faith, we will realize that it doesn't matter how much money we have in our accounts. It doesn't matter how many automobiles we own. It doesn't matter how many plots of land or how many houses or whatever we have. What matters is the treasure we have in Christ and Him alone. Nothing wrong with having those things. But what I've discovered in the length that I've been alive is that the more I own, the more it weighs me down. And today, as we prepare for the next life, we realize that Jesus had very little things in this world that weighed him down. Let's esteem the reproach of Christ. But then the Bible verse goes on to say, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Faith that is matured esteems not just the reproach of Christ, but the reward of Christ as great treasure. I, I get the sense here that, that these Old Testament saints realized that there would be a day they would stand before Creator God. And as Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, on his great discourse on the Mount of Olivet, he says that there will be a time in somebody's life when they will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But then there will also be a time when some would say, you have not done well, you're a slothful and wicked servant. Moses was that kind of servant who chose and esteemed the eternal possessions over the things of this world. Moses was, was that type of servant who chose eternal pleasures over the things of this world. And Moses had the faith that refused the temporal promises and all the things of this world. Listen, when we walk with God, our faith will mature in God. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And I say this respectfully. I'm afraid there's a generation of Christians who are only Christian in name and they're at the same place they were when they, quote, prayed the sinner's prayer, unquote. Listen, if there has been no growth in your life over the knowledge of Scripture, no growth in your life, in your relationship and walk with Christ, no growth in your life in seeking to disciple and mentor and train somebody else on how they can live for Jesus, if there's been no growth and no maturity there, then I wonder, I wonder, have you prayed in vain. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? You know, I came across this um, commentary and it really shook me because Moses could have had a lot. They said this, instead of occupying a line or two of hieroglyphics on some obscure tomb, he is memorialized in God's eternal book. Instead of being found in a museum as an Egyptian mummy, he is now a famous man of God. How would you like to be remembered? Would you like to be remembered as a mummy in the cemetery or a big fancy tomb? Or would you like to be remembered at the day of reckoning when Jesus returns and then all those stand before him in the next age? Would you like to be remembered as a man or a woman who refused the things of this world, who chose the eternal pleasures and the eternal possessions of the next life? You know, I came across a song that many artists have sung and 
and do. And, and in the verse number one, it speaks about how in the morning when they would rise, they would like to have Jesus. And the second verse, it speaks about how when, when they are alone in this world, they would like to just have Jesus. And when they have come to the place when their life is about to end, they would just like to have Jesus. And the chorus says this, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And that's what we see in this part of the life of Moses. When we walk with God, our faith will mature in God. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.